Welcome to The Witness, true stories of children and gender identity. Conversations about gender identity are happening in homes and hospitals, therapy offices and classrooms. This podcast invites you to bear witness to how gender identity impacts children and families. All of the testimonies that you will hear have been anonymously shared with Partners for Ethical Care. These stories have been shared by individuals who have agreed to have their experiences published in order to bring awareness and to document what is happening. We invite you to listen and bear witness. Mom loses custody after intelligent and articulate 12-year-old follows script, repeating, I feel unsafe. Thank you to everyone who helped me get to this point. This is my story. January 2022. My daughter was 12 when she went to her dad's for a regular three-and-a-half-hour custodial visit in the evening. When I went to pick her up from her father's house, he refused to follow the parenting agreement and return her to my custody. I got in my car and sent an email to my attorney telling her what had just occurred because it was so unusual. My daughter never came back home, stating that she wanted to live with her dad and stepmother full time because she felt unsafe in our home. I learned afterward that her stepmother, a licensed psychotherapist and clinical social worker, helped her create and execute the plan to leave our home. That was two and a half years ago. After having her in my custody for seven days and six nights a week for years, now I have no custody and no visitation, no educational or medical decision-making. I am allowed communication by postal mail only. The day after her father refused to return her to my care, I received via email from my 12-year-old daughter the scripted cut and paste fill in the blanks I've always felt this way transgender declaration letter. It's not in my daughter's style of writing. In fact, her writing is much better than the script. In the letter, She used the specific word that had power. She learned that the word unsafe is like a magic wand. I went to family court with my attorney to request an enforcement of custody and restoration of communication with my only child. By this moment, it had been 10 days of confusion and silence between us. My request was immediately denied with no allowance for me to even have lunch with her that day. Though she was in a room just down the hall, I was prohibited from even seeing her face. I was in disbelief, in shock. I believed in the court system and justice, but something felt wrong. I just wanted a chance to talk with her, one-on-one, and hear how she was feeling and what I could do to ease her distress. She had not expressed to anyone, not a teacher or therapist or other adult, that she ever felt unsafe. This word, 
this feeling seemed to be downloaded into her vocabulary, though it seems to be a synonym for the word that typifies every teenager's experience. Uncomfortable. Before you ask, yes, I tried supporting her with a letter of affirmation. I had convinced my brain to accept the reality that was presented to me. My head and heart were still reeling, not having seen her for now 10 days, the longest separation from her of my life. I sent my child a long email, full of love and excitement, anxious to begin our journey of discovery together with her new identity, explaining how our friends and family were very supportive when I told them, and how I proudly affirmed her choice of a new name and gender identity. But to my surprise, it was chastised by her court-appointed counsel for its potential to be upsetting to her for no reason I can understand and for sharing her story without her permission. I never received a response to my letter of affirmation. From then, I kept my mouth shut, complying with her command. I didn't tell anyone what was happening in my life and with my daughter. Over the next month, my elderly father called my ex-husband's house a few times to talk to his only grandchild on the phone, asking for her by name. When my father became quite confused about why my ex-husband was insisting that his granddaughter had a new name, I was chastised yet again by my child's court-appointed attorney, this time for not telling people about what was happening in her life. It was at that point that I realized that anything I did would be judged as wrong, that they needed someone to blame for her distress, and that I was the chosen one. Like some compelling true story mystery that airs just before the evening news, it seems they wanted to believe that I was some clever woman leading a double life, that the case of their career was at hand, a case in which they uncover an abusive controlling mother who attends school board and community meetings with a friendly smile in public while hiding all her wrath toward her child behind closed doors at home. I am sorry to disappoint. The trans child they were trying to save, to be heroines in their own life story, lived with me. Not a saint, but certainly not the devil. When the court ordered an investigation of both me and my ex-husband, I respected that decision because it is in place for children who are in truly unsafe situations. I think the system of an immediate investigation is good and necessary for those circumstances. I had nothing to hide, so I welcome the opportunity to talk about my life and my relationship with my daughter. At that point, it had been two months of not seeing her, and I was anxious to get the process started so the box could be checked that there was no finding of abuse, neglect, or lack of safety. What we know about children who are actually suffering in psychologically and physically harmful family situations is that they nearly always describe situations rather than label them as unsafe. It is the professionally trained social workers, psychologists, 
and adults who hear the descriptions and identify the ways in which situations are truly unsafe for children. I have known many children and adults who have lived in abusive and neglectful homes, and the lack of safety that they have cannot be easily seen by them because it is normal in too many cases. Unsafe is the label that adults use after they have heard the descriptions of a child's life. That is the opposite of what happened with my daughter. She used her magic wand word without any descriptions or instances in which she felt unsafe. And because she speaks with ease to adults and has a collegiate level vocabulary from her intense love of reading, they are entranced by her words. Her new stepmother, new teachers, new family therapist, new investigative psychologist, and newly appointed child representative for court forget that while she is intellectually intelligent, she has the brain of an adolescent. She is not an adult, though her body may look like one and though she may have learned quite well how to sound like one. As her mom, of course I can see this, just as many mothers have a unique insight into their children. But as people who have just met her, they are mesmerized by a girl who is unlike anyone they've ever met. To me, she is all at once amazing and at the same time, normal. I am used to the way that she is. It is not unusual to me. But for others, she has special powers with her intellectually compelling and well-scripted speech. She does their jobs for them. She lists the criteria and diagnoses herself and her situation, decides her own what is in the best interest of the child, all at 13 years old. And everyone pushes aside any lingering feeling in their gut that something is wrong here. This is too easy. That feeling of discomfort with what they're witnessing gets pushed down, like an email that is too much work to deal with, so they leave it to someone else to open and address in the future. They see what is happening, but it is bigger than what they can individually control. Abdicating their responsibility, they allow her the power of all decisions, which is wholly inappropriate for a 13-year-old child. The child is parenting herself, which means that the adults are relieved of their duties to provide stability for her. She's doing all of their work for them. Why would they want to work harder than they have to? They are simply following her lead. For the court investigation, I opened my life and my home. Every aspect of my history from childhood to today to intense scrutiny. There was no finding of neglect, abuse, or any other behavior considered unsafe. Still, I was prohibited from any visitation or custody even after the report was complete seven months after it began. During the court-ordered investigation of both me and my ex-husband, I asked questions. 
Questions about how my tense and tumultuous relationship and divorce from her father may have impacted her life. Questions about how bullying at school destroyed her self-confidence. How significant losses in her life pulled her into repeated depressive episodes. How exposure to porn at a young age might have impacted her ideas about her own body and social and sexual expectations as a female. And how all of those may have affected her recent declaration of being transgender. No one could see that my daughter might want to become a new person with a new name, identity, and location with married parents and no past as a way to escape her traumas. She wants no puberty blockers, testosterone, or surgeries. All she wants is to pick a name and pronouns of her choice and to have friends like every teen. No one wanted to think critically about those questions to ask why. The shortcut to a complex mental health history was a court order that mom needs to create a sense of safety for the child. That is what is keeping us apart, a feeling in her mind with no basis in reality, as proven by a half-year-long investigation. I am willing to comply with any request asked of me, but I am not sure how to create a sense of safety if I'm not allowed any interaction, not even a supervised lunch with my child and I certainly don't believe that she will kill herself if she hears her birth name. Do they really believe that she is so fragile? I don't think they like a mom who asks questions. I will open myself to your scrutiny here. If I use the popular vocabulary of the day, I would explain that I have been a gender non-conforming female for my whole life, ask my mother. I cut my hair short, wear clothes from all sections of the clothing store, do not shave any part of my body, have never worn makeup, and have not worn a bra for the better part of my adulthood. I am not a typical woman, whatever that means. And no, that doesn't mean I'm a man. I believe that a woman unadorned is not a man. But my daughter was not like me. She loved skirts and nail polish, jewelry, and the idea of wearing makeup. She never liked getting her hands dirty or even spending time in the boys' section of the clothing store while I picked out cargo pants and darker colored shirts for myself. There is nothing that my daughter can point to that makes me unsafe. I have never had a religious affiliation or political alignment, as if that makes someone unsafe. Uncomfortable, maybe. Unsafe? Certainly not. I have been a certified teacher in two states. I served on the school board of my local public school. I have volunteered within schools and with children for the vast majority of my 40-plus years on this earth. In the past three years, I publicly advocated for the construction of a youth homeless shelter in my neighborhood, and after a series of trainings and background checks, I housed young adults for a year at a time who could not stay in their homes due to physical and emotional abuse. No one believes that I am unsafe. 
except a now 15-year-old girl with a history of anxiety and depression and who knows exactly how to repeat the magic words that trigger the family court system to bend to her immediate demands. They act without care or consideration of how an abrupt and complete separation from her mother will impact her emotionally and psychologically as a child and as an adult. I looked forward to engaging in the reconciliation therapy recommended by the court. I was and am anxious to learn more about what I can do to be a better parent to my only child. During the first six months, while she was living full-time with her dad, I did everything possible to participate in the therapeutic process, as directed by the therapist. But in that reconciliation therapy, with a highly trained therapist from a university-affiliated practice, my daughter said the worst things imaginable to me, without interruption by the therapist. Session after session, I was told to listen and allow her space to share, but I was never afforded the same space not even to express sympathy for her feelings and position. I was consistently interrupted and repeatedly told that I didn't know my own daughter and that I was a problem in so many words. After having custody of my daughter for six days a week before she abruptly decided I was unsafe, I was dismissed as ignorant of my own child. What no one wants to acknowledge is that I have been raising red flags for years and have found teacher after teacher, therapist after therapist, unwilling or unskilled to assist in addressing my daughter's significant pain from her early childhood pain that I wish I could have prevented. No one wants to address that. It's too complicated. They'd rather work on trimming the leaves than pulling out the root of the vine that is choking her. I think my daughter is in a tough spot, and I feel for her. She pulled the trigger on a decision and I'm quite certain she didn't know what juggernaut she released with what seemed like one small action of sending a letter to me in her school that she was trans and stating that she felt emotionally and physically unsafe at home. Well, what does she do now that they didn't find any of that and the trans identification is the sole reason for a court-ordered estrangement? How would she have known what would happen? Many people in the system should have told her, hey, we agree that you feel that, but we don't see that. Let's figure out why you're feeling that way. Instead, the suicide myth drove the whole case. The oft-repeated line of children identifying as transgender, if I have to see mom, I'll kill myself. I wonder if she has started to feel a bit disenchanted by the miracle that is adulthood when she can see they've been duped by her well-scripted, YouTube-inspired story. How does a child feel when they realize there are no safeguards in place, no boundaries? That does not sound liberating. It sounds frightening. I cannot explain the frustration and immense sadness I have felt and still feel. Words are not enough to describe it.
I started on July 22, 2019, in an emotional crisis that felt as if I was hit on the back of the head by a 2x4 with all of the physical pain and disorientation that comes with that. I cannot and do not wish to imagine that time, though so many things I encounter bring my mind back to moments and memories of what I had and what I have lost as a mother. I am now in a place of acceptance that I have control over myself, my thoughts, my emotions, and my actions. I have reflected deeply on what apologies are necessary for me to give to my daughter because I could not give her the pain-free perfect childhood that she deserved. Life has given me an orchard of lemons and I will be making lemonade from now until forever. It has been a process of growth that I never wished to have and certainly not in this manner. I even received critiques from those who wished to project their own painful relationship with their mother onto my life with my daughter. The long list of but-if-you-would-haves presented by every critic of my life is no match for the long list of but-I-actually-did-thats. I have learned that no one deserves an explanation because if they don't have compassion for human beings who are suffering, they will have to order it from another store because I'm currently in the lemonade business. I have friends who are frequent customers, mostly parents who are in the process of reflection and growth with me, learning to laugh at ourselves and grow love in a life of emotions that we would not wish on our worst enemy. This girl who is becoming a young woman is my only child and her childhood that I thought I would be present in, a motherhood that I thought I would have, is quickly coming to an end. It's been 915 days since she went on that visit to her dad's and never returned. She's 15 and a half now. I missed her 13th, 14th, and 15th birthdays. I continue to ask questions, and I get asked in reply, what do you want? I want a relationship with my only child. I want to talk to her, see her and hear her voice. I want to hear her talk about what she thinks, feels, and believes about everything. I want the same thing that I always had, to spend time with a human being that was the absolute light of my life. I felt honored to be her mother and to be able to be present in her life. She was and probably still is amazing. I want to see who she is and is becoming. It's been two and a half years and I don't know what she looks like now, what foods she hates and what makes her smile or cry. I don't even know if she's taller than I am now. I have never even received a photo of her. I'm not disappointed with her. I don't know if I ever have been. 
I'm disappointed with all the adults who should have known better. They should have used their personal and professional experience to see a pattern as old as motherhood itself, the natural push and pull between a mother and her adolescent daughter that requires the same thing as all adolescents need, reasonable boundaries to ensure a sense of stability. So many adults have failed to act in her best interests, but have succeeded in serving their own, giving comfort and congratulations to themselves. I've missed so much of her childhood and my motherhood. I don't know when I'll see her again. I miss her. I miss her so much. Does she miss me? She must. Right? Right? This has been The Witness, true stories of children and gender identity. The Witness podcast shares these stories to give voice to individuals who cannot share their stories publicly due to the possibility of losing their jobs, their friends, and their children. All stories are confidential and anonymous. You can share your story too. Go to partnersforethicalcare.com and click the Share Your Story button. We welcome your story, your time, and your donation to support this important work. Partners for Ethical Care is a nonprofit organization made up of individual volunteers from across the globe focused on one mission. To raise awareness and support efforts to stop the unethical treatment of children by schools, hospitals, and mental and medical health care providers under the duplicitous banner of gender identity affirmation. We believe that no child is born in the wrong body. Thank you for listening and bearing witness. Thank you.